we are in the book of Haggai. Another one, little bitty book, two chapters, but just crammed full of the love of God. Uh, in the, when we get to Haggai, it is the last three books in the minor prophets are post-exile. So what does that mean? That means that both the northern kingdom, now they got taken out of the picture quite a bit ago, but the southern kingdom has been captured and taken into Babylon. And we read about that in a place called the book of Daniel and Ezra and Nehemiah. And uh, so he's writing and he gives us a very specific date. We'll see that in just a minute when we read. But just to put you in, and I got my handy little thing. Here we are. Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi. They're both after the Babylonian captivity. And he's going to speak to them at a very specific time. As a matter of fact, we know it was September 1st. 520 B.C. when he writes because he gives us a very specific date and we'll see that in just a minute. He writes and he only writes uh, for a brief period of time because he has a very distinct thing that he's writing about and uh, as we look at a timeline of when he wrote. So in 606 B.C., Babylon lays siege to Jerusalem and they begin to take out some of the smaller towns around Jerusalem in Judea and while they're doing that they lay siege for 20 years to Jerusalem. They couldn't get inside but all the while that they're doing that they're hauling off captives down into Babylon and finally in in 586 B.C., They capture Jerusalem, and they carry it off. And then in 538, they are in Babylon. King Cyrus allows part of Israel to return and rebuild the temple. You'll find that in 2 Chronicles 36 and in Ezra chapter 1. And Ezra is the key to what Haggai writes about. And then in 536 B.C., the foundation of the temple is laid. Now, if you look at the math there, they're captured in 586, and they start the foundation in 536. Well, both Jeremiah and Daniel said something very interesting. They said, Judah, you will be in captivity for 70 years. And then the temple will be rebuilt. It was destroyed in 86. The foundation was laid in 36. How many years is that? 70 years. Isn't God kind of awesome? Just exactly when he said he would, he he takes a Cyrus, a, a pagan king, and he says, okay, now it's time. They've done, their, they've done their time. They're gonna come back. But in 535, in one year, it stops. And for 15 years, nothing happens. They stop building the temple. 
And then Haggai comes along. And Haggai is the key to the fact that the temple's going to be rebuilt. And in 516 B.C., the temple is completed. So that's the history around what happened. Now we're going to see the why. And to understand this, we're not going to start in Haggai. We're going to start in Ezra, because Ezra tells the story of why Haggai had to come. So turn to Ezra chapter 4, and we'll read the first five verses to start out with. Ezra 4, 1 through 5. Now when the enemies of Judah and and Benjamin heard the people of exile were building a temple to the Lord God of Israel, they appointed Zerubbabel and his heads of his father's household and said to them, let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God. And we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Asheron, king of Assyria, who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's households of Israel said to them, you have nothing in common with us in building the house of our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. And when then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah, and frightened them from building. And they hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of kings, all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Okay, I'm going to stop there, and I want to go down to the end of the chapter. 23. And as soon as the copy of King Artisterius, Hard name. We'll leave it at that. Document was read before Rehum and Shimshi, the scribe, and their colleagues. They went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. And they worked on the house of God in Jerusalem, ceased. And it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Fifteen years, the work stopped. We need to understand why. Did you see what happened within that time frame? They were given permission in Ezra chapter 1. They're given permission to go, and they start rebuilding. And what happened? They're enemies. Your enemies will do anything to discourage you. And I want you to look at what they did. First of all, they said, hey, we want to come and help you. We, we, We love your God. And who does it say they were, though? They were people from all these countries when Assyria had had came in and taken out the northern kingdom. That's who these people are. They're all people who came that worshipped other gods. And they didn't worship the God of Israel. The temple had been decimated. 
They weren't, even the Jews weren't worshiping at the temple. They wanted to infiltrate. Hey, we just want to come, we want to come help you. I mean, when the world starts saying, we want to come help you, you need to be careful. I watched a church right nearby here when COVID hit and they had the payroll uh, guarantee plan. And, and a church said, oh, we want, we'll take your money, government. And a year later, that church was decimated. Half the size. They decided to trust in the government and not in God. Don't ever think the enemy wants good if they want to come help you. They said, no, we're going to do it. And so they started the build. And then immediately what happens? Verse 4. The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah. You can't do this. You're just poor old Jewish people. How do you think you're going to build that? Don't ever tell an old person that they can't do it. Right? (laughs) Michael. (laughs) Right. You know, they said, they said, you're not big enough, you're not strong enough. I mean, the, the world says, oh, you Christians, you, you guys are too, you're the meek and mild. Well, I got news for you, we're also warriors. They discouraged them. And then it said they frightened them. Now, I don't know what they said to frighten them. They probably said, hey, we're going we're gonna to come and we're going to, We're going to cause you harm. We're going to hurt you. It said they frightened them. Next it says they hired lawyers. Did you catch that? They hired counselors against them to frustrate the council all the days of Cyrus. They hired lawyers. We're going to sue you. We saw that happen. We've seen it happen in other places where, where Oh, well, we're going to hold up. I was part of a, uh, we, of a camping ministry, Outreach Northwest, a number of years ago. We had bought 400 acres that surrounded Steen Pillar over by Prineville, and we, we were praying that God would allow us to put a camp there. We had all, all the drawings up. We had paid for it. The man who lived next door was a lawyer. Filed suit with the Crook County commissioners. You can't allow this to happen. And he won. We had to close down the plans for the camp. They hired lawyers to come against him. And then they went to the government. And they complained to the government. If you look at chapter 4, they write a letter to the king and said, hey, these guys are going to build this temple and they're going to rebel against you and they're going to do all of these horrible things. They're terrible people. And then I want you to look at the end of 23. And they, once they got that letter from the government, what they do? And they went to haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. They brought the police in, shut them down. 
That's the situation that the Jews faced. And they, they said, okay, fine. And that brings us to the book of, of Haggai. Before we get to Haggai, I want you to understand that the result of Haggai and Zechariah also ministered. I want you to see the results of that in chapter 5 of Ezra. And when the prophets, 15 years later, when the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, the one we're going to see next week, the son of Edu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judea and in Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them, then Zerubbabel, the, king, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zodak, uh, arose and began to rebuild the house of God which was in Jerusalem and the prophets of God were with them supporting them. God sent two men, two men to prophesy. God is with you. God's going to do this. You need to, you need to stand up and start rebuilding. And in Ezra 6, 14, it says this, and the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edu. And they finished building according to the command of God of Israel and the decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, the king of Persia. The temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar and it was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. By the preaching of Haggai and Zechariah, and their support. They got involved with them. They didn't just stand around saying, you guys go do this. They got into the middle of it. Now let's turn to Haggai. Whew, that was an introduction and a half. But it got us where we needed to be. Haggai chapter 1. There we go. In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehoiadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. <clears throat> then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in the paneled houses while, the house, while this house lies desolate. Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvested little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages and puts it into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of God, consider your ways. Haggai comes and he, the first thing he does, he says, what are you guys doing? For 15 years, the temple has sat and you're over here using the materials that had been designated for the temple to build paneled houses. 
He says, what are you doing? But you have said, it is not time. Isn't that what we do sometimes when things get hard? Well, this isn't God's will. That's what they were saying. Well, it was okay when God called us out and we had the king's support, but all of these hard things came, so it's not God's timing. We're going to quit. And they quit for 15 years. Just because something is hard does not mean it's not God's will. See, it's real easy to get discouraged because the government doesn't want to help us. Our friends over here that live around us don't want to help us. We're here doing it all by ourselves. That's not God's will. Just because something's hard does not mean it's not God's will. I mean, I want you to think about, we, we just, uh, uh, six weeks ago, Megan Schreiber stood up here and told us about what's happening in Haiti. And it would be real easy to say, you know what, we're just going to pull everybody out. But they remained. They're, they're staying. They're doing the work of the ministry. And they're saving lives. And people are getting saved. I, I got a picture the other day where they were showing a baptism. They were having baptisms down in the river because people are getting saved in the midst of starvation. In the midst of not having running water. In the midst of all of this, God is moving. Is it easy? Oh no, they're at 30%. We think inflation's bad. Their inflation right now is 30%. It's not always easy, but God calls us to stay the course. And the, the enemies, you know, when the same thing happened in Nehemiah. Now, don't get Ezra and Nehemiah picked up. Ezra was told to go help build the temple. Nehemiah was said, sent to what? Build the wall. Build the wall around Jerusalem. Ezra had already got the, the, the temple rebuilt. But Nehemiah was to build the wall. And these same people that were discouraging Ezra went against Nehemiah. You know what Nehemiah said? Get your armor on. You're going to build the wall with one hand and you're going to have your sword in the other hand. We're going to post guards. Everybody's going to, and we're going to rebuild this wall. Get your armor on. Sometimes we as believers need to get our armor on. We need to stop being the gentle shepherd and be the, the soldier that has his armor on ready to press into the battle because it's not always easy. And then he goes on to say, you guys should have understood this because once you stopped building the, the temple... What happened to him? God removed his blessing. He said, I brought you out of Babylon all the way here. I gave you all the resources. Go back and read Ezra. The king went into his treasury, took all the items that were for the temple and sent it with him. They took up offerings. Everybody, he said, you go to the people around you and you ask for money and they were, it says they were disposed towards him. They wanted, they gave him gifts and they sent all of this to rebuild the temple. 
That was God's message that his blessing was there. And he says, what's happened now? You don't have enough to eat. You got clothes, but you're not warm enough. He said, you, you go out and earn money, and you stick it in your pocket. You ever feel that way? <laughs> you know, the, the check comes in, and you go to pay all your bills, and you're like going, okay, it's the 15th of the month, and the checkbook's empty. That's what he was talking about. You, you go out and earn money, and you put it in your pocket that has holes. Where did it all go? He said, you should have known. And then he puts them to work. And he says, I want you to go out and work and go out and cut the trees to replace the ones that you took to panel your houses. And he gives them some direction. And then we come to verse 13. Oh, I should write these down. Sometimes I get a little slow, don't I? (laughs) Consider your ways. That's what God said to him. Consider, think about, think about what God's doing, what God wants to do. Now I want you to look at at uh, chapter 1, verse 13, Haggai 1, 13 to 15. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. I'm with you. Where have you been? I haven't gone any place. I've been with you all this time. Verse 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month of the second year of Darius the king. They get to work. Did the circumstances change? No. They still had the enemies. The letter was still there that had been written by Artaxerxes saying, you guys can't build. A different king that didn't know what what Cyrus has done. Stop the work. Their circumstances had not changed. Sometimes God changes you and not the circumstance. Did you see what happened when, when, they, when Haggai started preaching? First it was the governor, Zerubbabel. His name is, actually means one sown in Babylon. He had never seen Jerusalem until he went there. He had been born in Babylon and came out of Babylon to to lead the people. He was the governor. God began to move in Zerubbabel's heart and who was the next person? Joshua, the high priest, God begins to move in Joshua's part. And then who's the next folks that got, got their heart start stirred up? The remnant, all the people that were with him. You see, sometimes when the Holy Spirit moves, it becomes contagious. The moving of the Holy Spirit can be contagious. All it takes is one person to say, wow, this is what God wants us to do. Come on, people. And as God begins to work, that becomes contagious. 
You know, there's an interesting verse in Matthew. We, we talk about it quite often. Usually we talk about it around prayer because that's where it starts. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by the Father who is in heaven. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. What did we learn last week? The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He's mighty, right? That's what they began to learn. They said when two or more get together, it's contagious. That's why it's so, you know, that's why we come together on Sunday morning. So that if you had a rough week, isn't it kind of nice just to come in and say, I need a hug. <laughs> or I need some encouragement. And a brother or sister comes alongside you and say, how you doing? And, and usually we say, fine, right? If you ever have somebody say, I'm fine, yeah, say, tell me the truth. Tell me the truth. How are you feeling? Right, Alan? We, it's okay to have a bad week or a bad month or a bad year. You can have that. But when you're around the brothers and sisters in Christ that can say, hey, it's, I'm here. I can't change your circumstance for you. But I'm sure enough can, can stand next to you and be there with you. That's why God calls us together. And as, as they came together, it says, I am there in their midst. Don't ever forget that, folks. The Holy Spirit is in our midst. Well, in Haggai chapter 2, he begins to give them some affirmations. And affirmations are a wonderful thing because it's what God says to us that, it, that we don't always go, oh, look at what God's doing. Sometimes God has to remind us what he's already done or what he is about to do. And so Haggai chapter 2, look at verses 4 through 9. This is his message. But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehoiadad, the high priest, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord. For and the work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made to you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, and the sea, and the dry land, I will shake all the nations, and they will come with the wealth of all nations, and I will fill the house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declare the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of the house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. 
and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. This is a prophecy that has both near and far, right? We've talked about that before. There is coming a day when the shaking is going to happen. When the Lord shakes the earth, he shakes the air, he's going to change everything, and the world is going to turn to Israel. The world hasn't turned to Israel yet. Matter of fact, they hate him. You look at, they just took a vote in the United Nations. Did you see that? And the majority of the United Nations voted against Israel. Yeah, figures. But there's coming a day. It's in the future. God's going to bring, and he says, I'm going to restore everything. But I want you to see these affirmations that he gives. What's the first thing he says? He says, what? Take courage. He says, take courage. That's a common thing with God, isn't it? When they came out of, out of uh, Egypt and they wandered in the desert, and they were getting ready, 40 years they'd wandered, and now they're getting ready to go into cross the Jordan River. Moses is getting ready to die up on the mountain. And he goes to Joshua, and what does he say? Be of good courage. Take courage. Fear not. I'm the one. I am here with you. Just like I was with Moses, I'm with you. Take courage. When Jesus was getting ready to leave this world, he looked at his disciples and he said, Behold, the hour is coming and has already come for you, will, for you to be scattered, each to his own home, and to leave me alone. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but... What? Take courage. I have overcome the world. <laughs> Amen. Just as he told the Jewish people, the Israelites, you're going into a land and what was their big, it's full of giants. It's full of people that are mightier. Than We're not warriors. And he said, I've already overcome it. You just have to trust in me. We can look at the world and we can get discouraged. And he says, no, 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 no. Take courage for I have overcome the world. We have to take that courage. He calls us, put on your armor. You know the wonderful thing about the armor of God? You ever, you ever looked at that in, in Ephesians when it talks about putting on the whole armor of God? Do you realize that it's all frontal? There's nothing to protect your back. You know why? Because God expects us going that way, not that way. We were watching, Eileen and I were watching a movie about these dog handlers in the military and they convinced this young lady, they have, if you've ever seen dog handlers, they put on this big full suit to keep, you know, and they train, train the dogs and they, these guys had said, oh, it's really hot out here. The dogs are designed to go and they grab the arm and so they talked her into taking her, taking her, her dog-proof trousers off and the dog, she turned around and ran and where did the dog get her? Oh! 
That's why God doesn't put us any armor in the backside. He says, you're to go that way. You're to attack. Be of good courage. You're a warrior. And then he says, why? He says, I am with you. I've never left you. Isn't that what Romans tells us? I will never leave you or forsake you. There's nothing you can go through in this world. Not this world or that world, the spiritual world that's above us. He said, nothing, nothing, nothing can take you away from the love of God. In Jeremiah, Jeremiah's the weeping prophet. Oh, this poor guy, you want to talk about somebody who had enemies. Man, they, they threw him in jail. They pulled him out of jail and threw him in the, in the outhouse pit. That's what a cistern is. That's where all the, all the sewage would be run down into the cistern. Threw him in there until he sunk up to his knees. Said they were going to kill him. And this is what God said to, this is God's words directly to Jeremiah. Now behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, and as walls of bronze against the whole land, to the kings of Judah and to its princes, to its priests, and to the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they will not overcome you for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Amen. That's what God says to us. Who's, who's the people that it says is fighting against him? It's all of the kings, the princes, the, the, the priests. All of these different people. They're supposed to be his friends. And he says, but I will deliver you. What's the next thing he says? My spirit is abiding in your midst. In your midst. The Holy Spirit is there. I, I just quoted this just a few minutes ago, Matthew 18. For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in your midst. Folks, we've got to be together. When we are together in Christ, we invite the Holy Spirit to come and be a warrior for us. You, everybody has a guardian angel. Some of us have two or three because we're just not, you know, that coordinated, right? You know, God, God says, oh, Ben, man, he, I'm going to send a half a dozen because this poor guy needs it. He can get into more trouble. Than, anyway. We all have a guardian angel. What happens when they get together? Hey, we got... How many did we have this morning in, in service, Michael? 68. We got 68 guardian angels plus hanging out right here, right now. Isn't that cool? I don't think they're taking a coffee break. I think they're planning strategy. Hey, we need... You know, we need... We need a couple of, of angels, so we're going we're gonna to take your angels and your angels and your angels, and we're all going to get together this next week, and we're going to do this great thing for God. And then we're going to go over here, and we're going to take your angels and your angels, and we're going to go out and, and just, just kick some demon butt. What? I'm sorry, I probably shouldn't have said that, but 
I believe we can, we can harness the power of heaven when we get together. Harnessing the power of heaven. He says, my spirit is in your midst. And then he says what? Do not fear. We've talked about this before. There's 365 variations of do not fear in the Bible. You pick the day that you need a, a do not fear. And you read that and you say, okay, God, me and you, we got this. I'm going to gather a couple of my friends up. And we're going to go. We're going to attack the enemy. Do not fear. And then finally he says, I will give you peace. Now, I want you to understand something. Peace does not mean the absence of adversity. Right? Some people say, oh, peace, that, you, know, you know, we want peace, not war. It doesn't mean the absence of adversity. Peace is the absolute assurance that the one who is with you in the middle of the, advers- of the adversity. It has nothing to do with the circumstances. It has everything to do with the one who's with you in the circumstance. I will give you peace. We can breathe easy. John 14, once again, while Jesus is in his last address to his disciples before he goes to the cross, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Do not let your heart be troubled and do not let it be fearful. Isn't that awesome? Don't be afraid. Don't worry about what's gonna happen because you've got me. I'm with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's what Jesus says to us. Well, I want you to see the outcome of his preaching. Chapter 2, verse 19. It says, Is the seed still in the barn, even including the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree? It is not born fruit. Yet, from this day on, I will bless you. Why, why was God willing now to bless them? Because they obeyed. They started building. Obedience brings blessing. They began to obey God and God says, okay, go plant your seed. I'm going to pour out on you the blessings of heaven. God promised that to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 28. They came into the land and he said they put one, one people on one side that, was, that called out the curses and the people on the other side called out the blessings and this is what God says. Now it shall be if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you on a high above all the nations of the earth. All of these blessings will come to you and overtake you 
if you obey the Lord your God. Now, I want you to look at that. Not only will they come upon you, but what? They will overtake you. Have you ever thought about that? How God blesses us? Not, he says, here, I'm going to pour out my blessing on you. And then I'm going to overtake you. I kind of think, think about being out in the ocean, right? You know, and you're standing there, you're playing in the waves. Has anybody ever counted waves? Because what happens every so often? The big wave comes. And what happens if you're not looking the right way? It just goes right over the top of you. That's the idea here. My blessings will not, over be, not only be poured out on you, it's going to overwhelm you. Luke says, shaken together, running over, shall men pour into your bosom. He says, when you obey me, I will overwhelm you. And then I want you to see one last verse, verse 23. And on that day declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like the signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. I have chosen you. Peter says it this way, but you are chosen, race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're chosen. Every one of you are chosen by God to love, to care for. And we could go through all of the promises that come with being a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. But what is that? He says, so that you may what? Proclaim the excellencies of him who's called you. That's why God chose us. He said, you've got a work to do. You need to be telling people about Jesus. You're chosen by him.